Uh, we're going to hear from Jared this morning. Uh, I preached last Sunday on uh, distraction. I talked a lot about the, the Greek word dis, which gets put at the front of a word. And when you put dis in front of a word, it almost it makes that word mean the exact opposite of what it means. So you can be satisfied, and then you put dis in front of it, and now you're the complete opposite of satisfied, right? You can be content in life, you put dis in front of it, and then all of a sudden you're the opposite of content. And I talked about traction, which means to hold without sliding, and you put dis in front of it, it's the complete opposite of holding without sliding, which is sliding without holding. And that's distraction. That's what distraction does in our lives. It slides us all over the place and pulls us here, there, and everywhere. And so Jared is going to continue this dis thought this morning. So give him a round of applause as he steps up. He's got prizes. I have a prize, singular. Unless we open it, then there are many prizes of a repetitive variety. I don't know if you can have a repetitive variety. I think that's a juxtaposition. Uh, oxymoron? Oh, I'm no moron. <laughs> I made up a really bad joke during worship today, um, during one of the small moments that I was not focused. Uh, it's a pretty terrible dad joke, so um, don't judge me for it, for it is not very good. Um, <clears throat> what font do you, it's because when we sang No Other Fount, and I sang font for the first moment, I was like, that's a weird thing, no other font. Um, and then I realized it was spelled differently and everyone else was singing a totally different thing than me. So then I thought, I wonder what font the New Testament was first written in. What font do you think it was? New Times Roman, that's what I thought. How bad is that? You are all having a great worship time with Jesus. I'm going, I wonder what the first font was. Everyone's like, Jesus, you're so beautiful. I'm like, Helvetica, New Times Roman. Hello, my name's Jared. I'm the younger brother, <coughs> prone to distraction. <sighs> awesome. Hey, I have got a prize, and we'll give it to somebody who can, as I go through some slides, can figure out which this word I will be speaking about today. And I'll give you a little bit of a clue. I'm a little bit sad that I brought popcorn because I actually had a different prize in mind. I was going to have it in a nice wee red bag, and then when the person guessed, I was going to reveal the prize, which was going to be a raw potato. Um, but I did not, so there's a nice wee prize, so that helps you to figure out whereabouts I am going. And I'm going to show a few wee slides to get us moving, and I like this one. Who's ever experienced in life where you have a set of expectations, and then reality turns out to be somewhat different, and there's a little bit of a dis around what happens, and I like some of these ones. This is quite brilliant. I'm not a baker, so I can't judge, but it's hilarious that people thought that they could achieve this. Uh, I like these ones, but my favorite one by far of a disaster is simply this. <laughs> Nobody wants to eat that. That is quite horrific, but I am, I am uncertain which mum wakes up and goes, I'm going to make a realistic cake for my daughter of their favourite person and then stab it with a knife and cut it into pieces and make all the other children, oh great, you can have the princess's eyes. Oh, you can have her lips. Um, what a weird thing to do. Um, if anyone's into Spongebob, uh, this is brilliant to me. Here lies Squidward's hopes and dreams. If you were going through life and you had some expectations, some dreams, even some mildly limited uh, reality that you're trying to aim for, and then you get a little bit of a cake disaster, um, and then you decide to bury your hopes and dreams, you might have experienced a level of dis... 
appointment. My mum was the first one. Well, that's shocking. Yeah, it is. Gene can have it for two reasons. One, he had a great testimony he told me about, and sometimes he wears um, socks that look like gloves. Um, which is like, anytime I sit next to Gene and he's got this, the glove feet on, I'm just like, I want to try those on. I, I love this. So we're going to look at disappointment today. I love this. Welcome to disappointment. Don't stay too long. I don't know anybody that's ever managed to go through life without experiencing disappointment. Uh, I think the, I, I have had times where I've gone through extended periods without it, and all I did was drastically lower my expectations for myself. Uh, once in a previous job, I chatted with my boss. He said, how are you going with everything? I said, I'm doing really, really well. I have totally crushed all of my tasks. He said, that's brilliant. I said, yes. However, I have massively, um, massively reduced my task list. Um, so now my life is really achievable. Um, and he was like, oh, I have very mixed feelings about this. Let's have a performance review. Welcome to disappointment. Don't stay too long. We all go through disappointment. And, you know, if you get rid of the dis, you know, we have appointments. Here are our practical appointments. Like today you woke up and you thought, I have an appointment with church at 11 o'clock. I need to be there at 11. That is my appointment for myself. So we have these minor appointments. So you can have an appointment at the dentist, at the lawyers. Um, they both sound horrendously expensive. Do something else. Uh, a chiropractor. I, mean, I only clearly have negative appointments in my life. Um, you have an appointment with a clown to make you a balloon animal. That is horrendously terrifying. <laughs> so we have small appointments, then we have the big appointments. And the big appointments are what I really want to talk about, and they are our God-given appointments. You know, the things when you, um, you get the sense of God, of oh, God and I are going to do this in life, and this is what we are going to do together. We've got this calling together. I've had this conviction come around me. I have had faith come alive in me. I've had a prophetic word spoken over me. Whatever it might be, I have this hope, this dream. You know, God knows the desires of our heart. You know, I have had these things placed in me, this appointment from God to walk out in life and this is the type of appointment that I want to speak on uh, this morning. The big picture appointments, those things that our life continually takes steps closer towards. And when we experience disappointment, disappointment likes to try and get us to camp in that place where we no longer make any progress. And I don't know about you, but this is the kind of cycle that I go through, uh, is that God will speak to me and go, we are going to do this. And I'm like, fantastic. When will we do it? And generally God goes, oh, like soon. And I'm like, brilliant. That will be tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and I'm like, God, have you not remembered? You said we would do it soon. Has anyone seen the TV show, The Chosen? Uh, there's this great scene in season two where a disciple talks to Jesus, says, Jesus, when are you really going to start to roll out your ministry? And he goes, oh, that's an interesting question. And the disciple says, will it be soon? And Jesus goes, oh, soon. Such an unhelpful word. Soon. That word always comes up. Why don't you try having a conversation with my father about the word soon and see how it goes for you? And so I have these, these moments where God says, we're going to do this, and everything in me comes alive. I'm like, yes, amen, hallelujah, and it's going to happen soon. And so I have this total belief, this is going to happen. Like, I know this is going to happen. And then over time, 
of very little to no progress and sometimes vast moments of God no longer talking about the topic at all, I move from this constant sense of excitement and certainty to a level of expectation and faithfulness. I will be faithful with this. And then as time progresses, I can often find myself progressing from being faithful or faith-filled with it to hopeful. I am hopeful that this will happen. And then I move from hopeful and I begin to pivot from being hopeful to patient. I'll be patient, I'll be hopeful, I'll be patient, I'll be hopeful. And then I begin to shift from patience to frustration. I am frustrated that things have not happened. Maybe I've made a mistake. Maybe there's some things that need to shift. What is it? And then I begin to shift from frustration into straight out annoyance and then from annoyance to disappointment. And disappointment seems to have an incredibly loud voice. Disappointment seems to show me all the circumstances in my life that confirm the fact that this was not going to happen, never going to happen, and I have wasted X amount of time and emotional energy believing this was going to happen, and the only person to blame in this was me. What a fool I have been. Thank you so much, disappointment. And then what happens in that space of disappointment, if you stay there too long, you become so familiar with the sound of disappointment, you can no longer distinguish it from the sound of faith. I was reading my Bible the other day, and Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. I've had a few odd moments where I've stopped relating to the disciples, and I relate way more to the Pharisees, uh, which is always quite alarming when you go, man, I'm, I'm that person. And Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he said, you know what your problem is, Pharisees? Your problem is um, that you are blind. And I would not hold your blindness against you if you realized that you are blind. But because you are convinced that you can see, I hold it against you. And it jumped out at me. Um, I was like, oh, why is this standing out? I was only one chapter into my reading. I like to read four or five so I can tick my box and be like, yep, I'm a good Christian today. Um, I thought, no, I need to stop, go for a walk. And I went for a walk and I was going through my head, you know, you're, you're blind, but you think you can see which basically means that you think you know what you're doing and in your arrogance, you've stopped being teachable and I hold this against you because you are no longer listening to what I have to say. And so I went for this walk down my driveway and then up my sister's driveway because we live like ridiculously close to each other. Um, and as I was going along this walk, I said, Jesus, what does this mean? And I felt that he said, Jared, you are way more prone to discouragement or disappointment when you become far more concerned about your business than your father's. And what happens is, for me, is as I progress through these moments of getting a word from God, and then that gap between when he said he will do something to when it actually happens in my perspective of time, my focus begins to shift from, I had my eyes on him when he spoke to me. And then I got this vision, and over time, my eyes began to gravitate away from him as I progressed through these stages of frustration, eventually disappointment, when now all I'm seeing is the vision that is no longer fulfilled, or is unfulfilled in my hands. And this unfulfilled vision has become my primary or sole focus. And as I hold this, I have become obsessed with my thinking, my prayer life pivots 
only around this. My thoughts of breakthrough hover only around this. What I contend for is only around this. And somehow this has become almost like an idol. Well, not almost, it just has. It's become an idol to me because it has my focus and my heart's attention no longer my father's. And so it's a unique stage that we go through um, as we experience disappointment. And this is just, you know, the expression of how I go through it. Uh, for you, it might be quite differently, but I like to be pretty real and raw when I share um, because I experience disappointment quite a lot because I'm obsessed with dreaming with God. And God gives us incredible dreams, and then He likes to give us incredible hallways to develop and shape our character and why we walk towards what He's going to do with us. I love this quote, success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. I, I like that. And there's a couple of verses that I want to just leave on the screen today, um, just so they can, you know, you could write them down or they can just sit through your mind as I share today, which is, are these two. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. It's a very complicated way of saying God's going to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it. When will it happen? Soon. It won't hurry to get to you, but it won't be late. But it won't arrive on time. It'll take us time to get to you, but it won't delay itself. God's going to do what God's going to do when he's going to do it. Um, often people will say to me, Jared, there are very few ways of being able to speed up what God's going to do. But there's a lot of ways that you can slow it down by what you're doing. The other one I love is for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So even as we're going through the process and all of those things, you're, man, this is taking forever. Have I stuffed this up? Possibly. Have I made a mess of this? Probably. Have I disrupted things so much to the point that God can no longer achieve the call that He's placed in my life? Absolutely not. His gifts and His call are, are permanent. They are imprinted on us. And I love as we go through the tensions and all the fears and all the doubts and the disappointments, another great thought to camp around is that Jesus is faithful to bring to completion that which he has started. It is just that he is a lot more concerned about his father's business than our business. And oh, too often, my business does not align with his. I want to tell a weird story, and then at the end, I'm going to invite people up for a time of prayer if you'd like. And then Imagine this, in the time of David, so if you don't know who David is in the Bible, he lived well before the time of Jesus, and he was a shepherd boy who liked to play the harp, look after sheep, and play with rocks. That's what he did. And imagine one day a journalist coming along to David. Imagine, Samuel walks into the town of Bethlehem. Samuel is this incredibly revered prophet. He'd anointed Saul, king over Israel. And Samuel walks into Bethlehem, and imagine a journalist tags along with Samuel to see, oh, this famous prophet's come into my town. I'm going to see what's happening. So this journalist tags along with Samuel, and hears that Samuel is going to anoint somebody king. And Samuel calls for all of the brothers to be there, and everybody arrives, and Samuel says, surely there's one missing. Who is it? And they go, oh, it's David, but we don't really like him. He's out with the sheep. So the journalist goes out and finds David. He says, David, 
There's a great story breaking open in your town, and I'm the journalist that's going to follow it, and, and the prophet wants you. And before we get into that and find out any of the details, I just want to know, I just need to get a quote from you. What is it like to be the only son that your father doesn't really like? How does that feel? The most important man in the nations come to your town, he's come to your father's house, and the man of God specifically instructed that every son get brought here, and they pretended that you didn't exist. What have you done? Like, you must be the black sheep. Why does nobody like you? David would sort of be like, ah, this is a very unique conversation that I don't feel like having right now. I'm just going to go with no comment, okay? Thank you. And so then David gets brought to the feast and Samuel anoints him king. And it says in that moment, like he gets anointed, the presence of God comes on him, his heart changes and he's never the same again. And so then the journalists would go up to David and go, David, tell me, you've just been anointed king over Israel. This is incredible. What a sudden turn of events. How do you feel? And David would be like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm like 15 years old and this is amazing. I'm going to be like the greatest man in the world. I can't believe that God picked me. Oh my gosh, like I love worshiping him, but I never dreamed that I would get to be king. And the, and the, uh, the journalist would say, absolutely, this is amazing. I mean, just quick, quick thought though. Uh, what are you going to do about the fact that there's currently a king? Um, his name's Saul. You've probably heard of him. Your brothers work for him. It's like a slight snag. And David would be like, oh, don't worry. But man, God's told me that I'm going to be king. Samuel, he made that guy king. He'll probably just go like, deal with it. I'll be king before you know it. And then a little bit of time goes by and David ends up finding himself uh, playing worship for King Saul because King Saul somehow through a series of events, it's a great story, has become possessed by a demon, become quite criminally insane and has bouts where he likes to try to murder people. And so they go, oh no, let's get a musician and put him in close proximity to you. And if he's good, he'll survive and calm down the demons. And so David gets that job. And so the journalists would go along to David and go, David, mate, I thought you were going to be king by now. And uh, now you're playing worship for an insane dude who may or may not decide to kill you at some point. Uh, what's going on? And David would say, oh, mate, don't, don't worry about it. I know it's been you know, 18 months or so, but God has got it sorted. I will be the king. God said he will do it. He will do it. Yeah, maybe I thought it would happen by now. There's obviously just a few things, details to be sorted out. Don't worry about it. Then Goliath comes on the scene, the giant. And David goes to fight the giant, even though Saul is the tallest man in the kingdom and should rightfully be the one doing it. David's like, well, you know what? Saul might be the tallest man in the kingdom, but I'm actually the one who's king. Saul thinks that he's king, but I, I know that I'm king, so I'll do it. So he takes on the giant, kills him, and everyone's like, David, you're amazing. He's like, ah. Everyone starts making up songs about him. He's like, this is my moment. This is it. And the journalist is like, David, you've just done so incredibly well. I was like, I know. I told you God would do it. I told you he was faithful. I told you he was powerful. And, and he has just done it. You'll see. Now I will be king. A little bit of time goes past and Saul decides, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill David before he becomes king. And so David ends up having to leave his wife behind flee around the country and start hiding in caves. And uh, now quite a few years have gone past and David has attracted to him the biggest losers in the nation. These guys don't want to pay their taxes. They've got grudges with the kingdom and they gravitate to David because they recognize he's a big loser too. 
And you can imagine the journalist finally tracking David down in the cave. The journalist is tired, he's parched, he's been crossing over the dunes, finds David in this cave and is like, David, mate, when I met you, you were like 15. You're like 30 now and you're hiding in a cave and you've got a beard that's like three feet long because you haven't shaved and you smell. And who are all these losers? Get some better groupies. And uh, what's the deal? I thought you were going to be king. And he'd be like, you know what? I have been asking myself that, that same question. I am wondering, was Samuel having an off day? I mean, I felt the anointing in that moment. But there have been a lot of winters since that moment. And now I'm, I'm not so certain. And they're having this hushed conversation. And then King Saul walks into the cave because he needs to go to the bathroom. And David's hiding there. And King Saul starts to relieve himself in a very close proximity to David. And you can imagine if a journalist were actually there in the moment, he'd be like, David, your home is so bad that the guy whose job you're meant to have has mistaken it for a toilet. You're such a loser. And then as time progresses even further, it gets so drastic for David that he ends up having to leave the nation of Israel, go to the land of the Philistines, and he is living in exile. And people in that community begin to work out, this is the guy that killed Goliath. We can't have him here. We should kill him. And David becomes so concerned that he pretends to be a madman, walks around scratching at doorposts and letting drool dribble down his beard. And you can imagine the journalist coming along, David going, wow, let's get a photo of this. You know, it's like the remember them when there was someone, an actor who was like really attractive and they're like, look at them now 20 years later and they're sitting there like with their, you know, beer can and stuff like that. This is that moment. Do you remember David? He was going to be king. This is the guy that people wrote songs about. This is the guy that people would prophesy about. This is the guy that God would make promises to. Look at him. He's lost all of his dignity. He's pretending to be insane so that people don't kill him while he lives in exile. He smells. He drools. He scratches doorposts. He's insane. David, what has happened to you? Mate, I don't, I don't know, it's been so long. I just, I remember this time where God said I would be king. It was like multiple lifetimes ago, but I know that he's faithful. Like I know that, I just, I haven't seen it. I've seen it for other people, but I haven't seen it for me, but I know in my head that it's true. Uh, but I'm wondering now in my heart, is this, is this ever going to happen? And then time progresses a little bit further and David gets, ends up being rallied with the Philistines to go to war against Israel, his own people. And he's, you imagine as he's marching off to battle against his own people, the journalist walking alongside him going, David, what, are you going to go kill your own brothers now? Has, have, have you sunk so low that the nation you desired to rule you'll now go to war against? David would be like, man, I'm not going to fight them. I just, I'm, I've been like drafted. I don't know what to do. I'm just, I haven't thought this far ahead. Just give me time. I've got to figure it out. 
And then luckily for David, some of the other generals go, we don't want this guy and his men with us. He could turn on us, send him back to Ziklag, the town that he lives in exile with. Send him and his band of losers, the depressed men, back over there. Let them, let them go live in Ziklag and just leave them alone. So they get kicked out. It's like, man, Israel doesn't want you. The Philistines don't want you. Go back to Ziklag. So they're marching back to Ziklag. And as they get there, they can see smoke on the horizon. And when they arrive, they see that their town's been burnt to the ground and all their wives and children are gone. And you can imagine the journalist then coming along David as he just sits there in the ashes, going, David, look what believing God got you. Man, don't you wish you could have just had a quiet life with the sheep? Even though your family didn't like you, you used to think that was a big deal. Have you noticed now that every single person in the entire world actually hates you? It used to be just your family. Now it's everybody. And I don't know if you've heard, David, but see your group of men over there? They're actually just planning on how they're going to kill you right now. And the men began to say, let's just kill him. We've had enough of David. We thought that he would be our salvation. We thought he would become king, but clearly never going to happen. And then it says in that moment that David sort of paused and he strengthened himself for the Lord. He took a moment. He's in this space of intense opportunity to make his encampment in the sound of disappointment, but it says he strengthened himself for the Lord. And then after that, he inquired of the Lord saying, God, are you still with me? Will you help us recover that which has been taken? And God answers, says, David, surely you'll succeed. Pursue your enemies. I'm with you. And so he rallies his men who have been marching for forever and they pursue their enemies, recapture their family, and they come back to Ziklag. And then a moment or so later in the story, a messenger arrives to David and says, David, you'll never believe it, but the battle for Israel went badly. King Saul was killed in battle, and now the nation has begun speaking. Where is David? Let us make him king. See, David and Ziklag got to this moment of intense brokenness where he had had everything stripped off them. And in his moment of breaking, he chose to strengthen himself in the Lord. And that moment of breaking became his point of breakthrough. Here's about 48 hours in that window of, I have lost everything. And then within about 48 hours, began to get everything that God had ever promised to him. Can we get the, the band back up would be excellent. Like how, how often do we, do we find ourselves in this process of God having promised something and then us seeing such a phenomenal delay that we begin to assimilate our own lack and ascribe it to God, going, well, if He hasn't done it, then He's probably never going to do it. I heard this really intense story a while ago about a, a gold miner in the States back in the, you know, the Wild West days. And this guy leveraged everything that he had because he believed there was gold in this mountain. And he began to dig and mine this mountain. And I think it was went for quite a few years as he dug one of the biggest sort of tunnels ever into it, totally convinced there was gold. Perseverance after perseverance. And the story goes that he eventually lost everything and he quit. And he sold the gold mine and the rights to it to a new miner coming through. And the guy started digging and within six meters hit the biggest gold rush um, in the country's history. And the guy was like this close to breakthrough. 
But instead, he looked at all the surroundings and all the circumstances, and they all confirmed the fears of disappointment. But David, in that same opportunity, had all the circumstances, all the fears of disappointment, all the pressing need of his own men going, I'm going to kill you because you just suck so much. We all just want you dead. And in that moment, David went, you know what? Way back then, way back then, I received a promise. And my God is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if He said it, it is no less true today than that moment of ecstasy when I first received it. That moment of adrenaline where, where anointing and faith and hopes and dreams all collided in this phenomenal experience. It is no less potent and powerful now in the midst of my abject failure than it was then because God does not live in my circumstances. He lives above them. And I will strengthen myself in the Lord. I will be still and know that He is God. I will renew my strength and rise up on the wings of eagles. And I just, I felt to bring this word today because I know as we start the year, you know, the last few years have not been overly pleasant. But I just feel like God is saying, do not allow the vision for your life to be restricted by the sound of disappointment, but instead step out of the camp of disappointment and step back into the reality of who my Father is. Don't concern yourself with the agenda of your own vision, but lift your vision back into the focus of the Father's heart and His business. Take time to renew yourself in the Lord. Have His strength flow over you because He is faithful. Though it tarries, though it lingers, though it takes its time, it will not delay. And no matter how much of a mess that we or circumstances have made in the process, the gift and call of God, His appointment over your life is irrevocable. It cannot be reversed. It cannot be taken. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be robbed. What Christ has begun, He is faithful to bring to completion. And so I'd just like to invite us to stand right now. I just want to open up the front for anybody this morning where you say, you know, I feel like there's parts of my life where I have just camped in disappointment, where I have allowed the erosion of consistent misfortune to rob me of my faith and confidence and joy of God. And if this morning you go, man, I just, I want to step out of disappointment today. I want to take a faith step and, and come up the front and say, God, I want to, I want to surrender to you fresh again. I want to stand in your presence that I would strengthen myself in you. If that's you this morning, that's when I invite you to come at the front. I'd love to pray with you and our prayer team can pray with you and, and that would be awesome. Then for everybody else, we'll just have a little bit of time of just prayer and worship. So if you want prayer this morning, I invite you now to, to come up the front. That would be awesome. Just as I am, I come.